Linux Games Podcast. The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam. Brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux. And beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of a where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know, uh, join us on Steam, and friend me on Steam. My name is Scoogie Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in, of course. Features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals. Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of... It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the next game on, bitches! Welcome to episode number 448 of the Best Linux Games Podcast. Being recorded for you on this Saturday, the 10th of June, 2023, at uh, 1.29 p.m. Uh, Pacific Coast, left coast, coast to the most. Crack Engineer, Ivor Molina, over there in the booth, holding up the whiskey sign. That's a good idea, Ivor. It's a good idea. Ivor, uh, was this feature that... We've been working on for the last three weeks for this week's show. That was your idea, right? He's holding up the other sign of the whiskey sign. Uh, whiskey sign says yes. Man, he's he's getting slow. Ivor, you've lost a step since you became a zombie. Um, so th- this was your idea. He's banging yes against the glass. Ah, uh, yeah, you're fired, Ivor. You're fucking fired. A terrible idea. God damn it, look at the rundown, you motherfucker. Anyway, whiskey sign, cheers, tip, 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 drink, you're gonna need it after this episode. Oh. Yeah. That's good. That's better. We're, we're really pumped. 
We have a huge show for you this week, so without further ado, straight to our top stories. One, we know that our website is down. Um, this is occasionally being attempted to be fixed. Uh... There's lots of decisions that have to be made on mainly my part that I simply have not had the time uh, to do, but we're aware of it. So one of the nice things about having been banned from Twitter is that I don't get, it's also, you know, the bad thing. I mean, there's nothing good about being banned from any place, um, especially when it's like, you know, such a huge force multiplier in terms of, you know, whatever, but it's always a nice way to get a hold of me, and a lot of our listeners used to do that, um, but now I'm gone. I'm gone, baby, gone from Kentucky. That would, of course, make it for our sequel, friends. Oh, god damn it, I almost forgot. 2023 uh, 16 133100 hours. So, our site is down. We're marginally working to fix it. It should be up Hopefully by the end of uh, this forthcoming week, uh, but it anyway, yeah, it's it's a it's a whole can of worms, and there, there's all these. Um, they're like five. It's manifold. It's five layers, five layer cake of juicy, sweet, interrelated, mu- semi mutually exclusive, uh, fucked up attitude that. I've allowed to spiral far out of control as usual. What me? Uh, shut up, Ivor. You know me. I never lost control. Yeah, face. Anyway, uh, so that's what's going on with the website now. Based on the new and noteworthy, because we have a huge feature for you this week. It's not quite as ready as I would like it to be, but we're going with it now because we gotta go with it now. Um. Yeah, there, there, uh, we, the stories that we bumped for this, for this week were our review of, um, uh, Jesus, I will, you're fired! Starship Troopers Extermination in Early Access, which we don't normally review games in Early Access, but I have a feeling that EAC is going to eventually lock it down, and I've, I've gotten enough hours in the game, I've played over 20 hours, um, I've seen a lot of shit in that game and I really want to review it while you still can play it on a Linux system um, that got bumped for our feature this week which we're tentatively tightening yeah, exactly. Um, like, wow, we just spoke in tongues. That was like stable diffusion for language right there. That was... <laughs> Speaking in tongues, um, Mr. Jones. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're, we're tentatively calling our feature that for some reason that is a difficult, it does not roll off the tongue. Tentatively, we are calling it how Microsoft is strip mining the FOSS to rule the world. Your face to face with the man who sold the world. 
with the new and noteworthy Ivor. We got one title for you. I was a North American fall when were in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. Alright, our new and noteworthy for this week is a fucking awesome game. It's so awesome that even in spite... Normally, like, we would just clear the decks for a feature as big as we have planned, but this game is called Voidigo. Uh, that is Victor... I almost said Victor Echo November, just out of habit. Victor, Oscar, India, Delta, India, Golf, October. Yeah, right? No, Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. There's only, there's only November. No, only, Voidigo, V-O-I-D-I-G-O. Voidigo, which I played 30 minutes of this morning, um, was released two days ago. It is a top-down, well, here's what they have to say. A vividly animated action roguelite focused on boss hunting unleash an array of diverse weapons and power-ups to combat the corruption of the Void. That sounds like boring fucking bullshit to me. It does not in any way describe the fucking charming, intense, super deep, ultra-fun um unbelievable in terms of variety, scope, scale, exploration. Um, if you like roguelites, this is, oh my god. this It's a top-down. So, like, this, this game makes uh, not a solid Android cactus. What was the other one that was, like, a, a big favorite? Um, this is a pixel trash top-down uh, roguelite. But, um... It's $18.99. It is worth it. So far, the reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. And last night, when I finally got to sit down and, or this morning, when I finally got to sit down and play it, I was still, you know, I was super shit hammered. And my thumb is, is a twin stick shooter. It's top down twin stick shooter with, um, these, uh, just unbelievable variety and shocking creativity in all the character design, all the enemy designs, all the um, the visual style of it is great. Your character is really cool. You're like an ancient guardian. Uh, but the story is also ridiculous and it's aware that it's ridiculous and all of the monsters and the enemies and the bosses are just out of control. This game reminds me a lot of like what would have happened if Jam and Earl had um, an animation budget of like $400 million in like 1990-whatever when they made the original Jam and Earl for the Sega Genesis because they would have just fucking kept they would have kept spending that money baby they would have just kept spending the money making new and crazier more abstract weird ass fucking hilarious um enemies and shit and the gameplay in this game is so good it's among the best uh you know it reminded me of um uh death tv that we reviewed or, or what was it called uh uh Oh shit. Ivor, you're fired. Death Run TV. I was close. Um, which is a fucking super fun, but that's like a demi isometric and that's like kind of realistic, cartoony looking. This is like pixel trash, 
Someone spent so much fucking time on this game, and it's just awesome. It's, you're along for the ride. You boot it up, and I don't care. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so much crazy that it's going to take me probably like 20 hours just to unpack and sort the craziness into manageable piles so that I can really... Um, but you, you'll hear more about it on the show. Anyway, definitely... Uh, who developed this? Ivor, you're fired! Oh, this is developed by developed and published by a group named Semiwork. <laughs> That's brilliant. But yeah, you gotta check out Voidigo. If you, like me, love fucking roguelites, rogue likes, and lights, and etc. Holy shit, this game is good. Check it out. Now, in the next ten minutes, ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> <laughs> only 10 minutes I am more sober than I've been on this podcast in a long time because we have a lot to tackle so Ivor engage I said engage press the fucking button what do you think? oh my god it's Bolivian. Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature. I can't read you. I can't read you. I can read your mind. Take it, stupid. All right. Here's our feature. It's all about how Microsoft is strip mining the FOSS, which is something that we've known about. I'm as always. I'm like the last person to. Really, I was the first person to notice it, but by virtue of being the first person to notice it, not the very first, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's smarter minds than I and, and industry insiders who noticed it, um, but all of us with, you know, like a, a growing, deepening pit of unease in our stomachs, um, it goes back to like, fuck, I want to say almost 10 years ago. Um, 10 years! No, it's gotta be like, yeah, it's gotta be almost 10 years ago, because it was like my third Linux Fest Northwest, and I've been to seven, and I haven't been to the last two. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is this. A long time ago, I went to Linux Fest Northwest and was shocked to see a big Microsoft presence there. They were doing Microsoft outreach to the Linux community, and they were trying to get this they're they're trying to they 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 were so desperate to not be fucking booed out of you know blah and, and tarred and feathered around which of course us adherence to the foss and to the the the, the um ideas for which it stands would never do because violence we are completely nonviolent um unless necessary or expedient <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm playing too much system shock <laughs> um but it is apropos system shock is apropos anyway they were offering free cookies and not not cookies cupcakes they had a cupcake machine as their booth that's how fucking reviled microsoft was and they were doing community outreach to linux and uh it was shortly after that that the chain of events that I'm about to describe to you uh, began to occur. Now, all of this up until very recently 
They were doing PowerShell. They were trying to promote PowerShell and um, I think maybe VS Code. Maybe. Maybe. It's around the right time. It's, but that was eight years ago. Maybe. And the thing was, VS Code, which is Microsoft's default, um, it only took, okay, well, anyway, but we're going to do this in the form of a TikTok, okay? I, I don't mean I'm going to present you with a video. I'm talking about newspaper style TikTok. We're going to say, we're, I'm going to give you what happened. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the technology when it was developed and released and under what banner or whatever it was released. Then I'm going to give you the TikTok of the chain of ownership of that company, and also of the deri- of the products derived that you know uh, came from that company. And you're going to see a horrifying pattern. Now, back in the day, it was all fun and games to like laugh at Microsoft offering free cupcakes just to fucking talk to them. Because oh my god, even though it was the Pacific Northwest, holy shit! You want to talk about? I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, I won't tell you the story. <laughs> but we're talking about like <laughs> Microsoft having a booth at Linux Fest Northwest would be like having a KKK booth at a fucking I mean it's a horror I mean, you know, obviously Microsoft doesn't I'm not trying to trivialize the KKK and the fucking decades almost fucking century of fucking you know violence and horror and terror and lynchings and, and, and racism and awfulness but it just in purpose of analogy Microsoft having a booth at Linux Fest Northwest was like the KKK having a fucking booth at a black Baptist Mississippi church in 1962. It's like, this is just the, what the fuck are you doing here? We do not want you here. We do not like you. You don't like us. It's not just, you know, uh, and, and actually, it's a fitting analogy because LaFosse has always been, even though, you know, back in the days of Usenet, we, we used to say, and we still, and it's always been the dream to utterly destroy Microsoft. It's not to destroy Microsoft because Microsoft is Microsoft. It's not to destroy something because we have an enemy. It's because Microsoft had total dominance over the idea of a general uh, computing platform for most of our lives. And that's that's the idea of the FOSS. And the FOSS draws its power. The reason why we grow year over year, maybe not in great numbers, but trust me, buddy, I remember when there was no one here. I remember 1997 when nothing worked and it was all just a fucking pirate dream. Like, literally, a pirate, you know, like, this idea of the Republic of Pirates, but not about piracy, but about freedom. Because I had started working at, I was was 16 when I got my first job in computing, and I learned rapidly that Microsoft controlled everything, and that everything was locked down via licenses. This is when Corel Draw was the premier uh, scanning and, and photo editing thing. This is when, a pri- you know, there are all these proprietary um, functionalities that you could not get uh, 
anywhere else other than a single vendor who is the single developer and these people were not responsive to the user to the users at all they were responsive on the they locked the door on the way on their way out that is that's what i used to call it locking the door on your way out they would gladly seat you at whatever table you wanted at whatever you know uh, price fix menu that you want they, you know, after they did your credit check or whatever, they would pre-charge you, they would let you in, and they would lock the door. And that meant that you were enslaved to their functionality. This is before software as a service uh, evolved, which is such an insidious fucking thing that, you know, especially now that everything is run off of our, our uh, phones for the most part, and our tablets and our portable devices, um, you know, in being enslaved to software as a service, you write a widget for the uh, uh, fucking Apple uh, App Store, the iPhone App Store or whatever, that does something so fucking simple and stupid. I mean, something completely trivial, but it does that one thing, and it will do it for you. First month is free every other month of your life until you die, you know, I would be charitable if I said that such uh, relationships in this in this category would be priced at like a reasonable price, like five dollars. But no price is reasonable to be a slave to a company for functionality that, that, that they will not develop for you. They are not responsive to you. They let you in after you pay them. They lock the door. You can't get out. You're locked into their fucking thing. So it's like 10 bucks a month. It's $120 a month to fucking photo resize on your iPhone. Same thing with, you know, all the Adobe platform. You know, you know the deal. You're smart. You're all computer users. Um, you're tool users, right? Hmm. You understand vendor lock-in. You understand. And this, but so in, in, in 1996, I got my first taste of the corporate world. I'd already been, you know, building my own computers by then but um and tearing apart others and fixing other people's computers you know blah um but so I but when, once I saw it in the corporate world I realized how enslaved just the idea of not actually ever really owning your software and of being subject to paying for a new version at full price with marginal improvements that did not add any of the functionality that was requested by the user base because the internet was in its nascent form by then so you know companies were getting lots of feedback and there were fucking telephone numbers that you could call hey your fucking database doesn't work anymore what the fuck um oh yeah no you have to buy our new version that was the model and it was a rapacious model and i grew so disgusted eventually um because it, it deprived you the functionality of your actual machine. And then everything else grew out of that. The whole idea of spyware, of bloatware, of malware. All of these come from fucking Windows machines. Anyway, so 1996, I, I, I was reading, uh, the back pages of, uh, Computing Magazine. I can't remember what, which magazine it was, but there was an ad there for Mandrake Linux. And I got my, I, I was, not working yet. I was 16. I know. I, yeah. It had to have been 16 or 17. I was like right there. 
Um, Cause I had to get my mom to write a check for like 40 bucks to send, have Mandrake send me, I still have the manual. It's a big printed manual, but the, the price was for the discs. The, the CDs that had the actual operating system and all the packaging, all, all the, you know, it was, it was all the, all the, um, just in case you couldn't get on the internet, it was like 40 fucking CDs. And then I proceeded to break my computer, and that was the beginning of my wonderful adventure with Linux, which continues to this day and is the greatest operating system. So how have we survived and thrived all this time in comparison to Microsoft? We survive and thrive. The FOSS, as an idiosphere, survives and thrives because we are the we are antithetical to Microsoft. We do not generally care about our profits. We want to solve problems. That's the idea of free and open source, non-hierarchical, free is in freedom, not free is in beer. You can copy, modify, redistribute anyone's code. You can fork it. You can, you know, suggest. And by virtue of the force of crowds, not the madness of crowds, but the non-hierarchical self-organization through via technology, a human interface, I mean, a, a technological interface that sorts humans and provides the aggregate data that they wish to impart to a developer as in, we want this feature and there are 58 fucking people who asked for this feature this week and if you don't do it, we're gonna fork you and we're gonna fucking do it ourselves that is the FOSS, that is why we grow in number, strength, power and uh, inevitability year over year over year over year ever since 1997 ever since Torvalds and uh, fucking Stallman uh, Torvalds released the Colonel Stallman releases GNU Utils and bam we are off to the races we have nothing for a long time actually it took about two years before I could get an X11 Windows environment up and running I was there before X was invented I was um, I was there before fucking GIMP was invented GIMP if you've not heard this show before I tell this story it's a famous story my two most famous stories about the FOSS just dominating and destroying dissolving before your eyes I was uh, 16 or 17 I had to have been 17. I had to have been over 17 because I was on uh, Usenet and the current, like, Linux had dropped. Linux was, like, a thing by 97, which seems so early. It moves so fast for it being so difficult at the time. I was still connecting on dial-up. I was connecting on dial-up until fucking uh, 2000... Ah, 2005. But anyway... I'll tell you that story some other time, but I'm on Usenet and I'm I'm very interested in in Linux and I've 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 solved my dual booting problem, but you know there's nothing to do in Linux and so I'm reading up on these Linux Usenet threads, and I remember the day that GIMP was proposed on Usenet, and I. I am famous for not being wrong very often. But when I am very wrong, I'm just as wrong as anybody else. I thought that Linux was like a fucking hobby horse, a a funny novel thing, a dream. Like the dream of having a pirate republic. 
you know, for the pirates on the Spanish main in, in the, in the 18th century. They wanted to have a pirate republic. They wanted to have their own government where, you know, where everyone was on the account. Everyone gets paid a share. You know, it was a real, real interesting. That was a dream. It kept floating up and then kept getting tamped down and one thing or another, you know, civilization intercedes and the law intercedes. But I didn't want, um, Linux to, Linux for piracy. I was already pirating like a motherfucker back then. I I don't support piracy. I believe you should pay especially game developers you should pay for what you like. Pay for freedom, not for slavery. That's a bad deal. Pay for what you like. And because games are not business logic, because games don't actually rule the world, and I knew this in when I was 17, I was like, man, we are all headed towards slavery. We're going to be enslaved it's going to be like 1984. I read that book when I was 12 and it just blew my mind because the whole idea of 1984, the real idea of 1984 is you control the means of thought. You strip out the meanings of words. You make it impossible to even formulate. You make everyone so stupid. It takes a couple of generations, but it works. Um, to make everyone so stupid that they don't have the way, they don't even have the intellectual or vocabulary, uh, uh, the diction, literally, the diction, not in terms of like pronunciation, but in terms of word choice, um, to express their own feelings or if they see something that is confusing and bothersome to them, they're not able to say, I watched, you know, two cops brutally beat a man to death on the street and then they fucking they threw everyone who saw it. They didn't see me, but they threw everyone who saw it into this fucking vertebrate and they flew away. And I, I think those were our neighbors. You know, they don't have the words to say that. They're like, I saw something double, double plus bad on good. Double, double bad on good. You know, you don't even have the words, the capability to express yourself. And that is ultimate slavery. And that is a power that when Orwell wrote 1984 was merely, um, merely an almost an allegorical hypothesis. Because, like, the the total technical domination of everyone in 1984, the total surveillance state, all of that stuff, um, is really an allegory in reverse for, I mean, yes, it's awesome the way that they do it and the way that they explain it, the way he envisions it. But it's not really about the system of, of surveillance and, and of control. It's really about getting everyone else to police them. It's the ultimate fascist idea, authoritarian fascist idea. Um, cause Big Brother is watching you. And that means you yourself are a tendril of Big Brother. Everyone is machined into these cogs and, and, and stuff to, to serve this horrifyingly inefficient, absolutely unequal, morally unforgivable genocide machine. And whether it's genocide of an ethnic group or of another country or, uh, ju- justifying uh, wars of aggression for resources or just for sheer expansion of political control and power. Uh, these are themes we will revisit immediately. Trust me, we're getting there. Um, I'm freewheeling because we haven't gotten to my notes yet. But all, all of that is 
when you have a system that is unaccountable to its users, the users who ostensibly dreamed the system into being, who wished for the thing, and then someone, someone or a group of someone's, generally a group, a large group, back in the day, before the FOSS, um, got together and they banged it out. They were the wizards who could code. Now anyone can code. So the trick now is maintaining control. Ivor was holding up the whiskey sign. Sorry for that. We're talking really fast here, but we have to go fast. Only 10 more minutes, right, Ivor? No, we, we got about 20 more minutes ahead of us. Plus or minus an hour and a half. Maybe it's in the immortal words of Cody Johnson. And that's what I, I think I've outlaid our, our topic. And in the immortal words of Cody Johnson. Uh, and over the next, you know, 10 to 500 minutes, we will be exploring it with you in a terrifying, not a cabal, but a deliberate strategy for which all the pieces have fit right in in a bone-chilling, literally alarming, I do not get afraid. I don't worry about Microsoft, Microsoft, because, and, he, and this is important to note, the greatest strength of the FOSS isn't in our sheer numbers. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you the story about GIMP. Not very often wrong, but when I am wrong, I'm just as wrong as everyone else. I thought Linux was a hobby horse. These guys were talking about making a workalike to the most complicated, most expensive, most widely used piece of non-operating system software. They were talking about making a workalike of Adobe Photoshop and they were going to make it free and they were going to make it with developers without a company, non-hierarchical, on Usenet, donating their free time and I literally post, I swear to God. And these were, the, this was like the developer confab. This is one of the, this is before Slack. This is before Redmine. This is before any of that shit. This is, I, you know, I'm reading, I'm lurking, I'm lurking. And I, I just thought this idea was so literally fantastic. It was a fantasy. I'm like, you guys are insane. This is never going to work. Two years later, I cried. When I opened GIMP for the first time on my Linux box in an X session, they took Adobe. They took Adobe Photoshop and they showed what a paper fucking tiger it was. And it only took them two years. I could not fucking believe it. It was unbelievable. And it converted me forever to the FOSS. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I have it. I have, I have several tattoos. One of them, the, one of the biggest ones is a pinup from 1930. 1928, 29, maybe early 30s from Film Fun Magazine. 
And next to her, it runs down the entire length of my bicep in giant red letters. It says Linux. <laughs> I mean, it's a deeply held belief for me. Um, the FOSS is absolutely glorious. And for business logic... Now, I, I'm so glad that we're getting into games and everything, and that we're, 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 we have some foothold in terms of market capitalization to force companies to come to us with their games now. But back in the day... You know, I don't. I, so here, I diverge with Richard Stallman in that you know I believe in paying for games because they're expensive, but business logic is not that expensive. Now, research is expensive. Um, figuring like doing a Manhattan Project, time, tools, teams, materials, uh, planning, and planning for failures—the inevitable failures, disasters, testing structures, testing regimes. Uh, quality assurance passes. Uh, everything, everything has to be built from the ground up for like a Manhattan project. We did that in two years with no one. That's what the FOSS does. We chew up problems, and we might not get to you right now. We will get to you eventually, um, and that's where we begin our turgid tale of Microsoft who has now managed to turn the tables on the FOSS. I will begin with a very brief anecdote. Long time ago, I was a journalist at a, at, at a print newspaper. I was an entertainment writer at a print newspaper. And eventually, it, through no part of my contributions, although I, I did a lot of writing for the paper over five years, Eventually, about two years in, we were killing the competition. There were four other papers in Vegas, and we were destroying them in circulation, reach, readership, and etc. in our category. We were just dominant. We were the best loved, oldest, most widely read, uh, all weekly, you know, culture rag. And we had destroyed everybody else. And they were owned by bigger, uh, by the company that owned the, our biggest daily newspaper. Eventually, they bought out all of the other alt-weeklies except for us. And it was us alone. Then one day, they bought out the only other alt-weekly. And they bought us. And we sold at what a, must have been an, an unfathomable price because we made so much money for our publisher. We made so much money. Anyway, this resulted in the last issue of Las Vegas City Life which came like a thunderclap to all of us. No one no one saw it coming. No one expected it. We thought we were going to bury everybody else because we already had they bought the only other all-weekly other than us, and that same day they bought us. They did it over a weekend, and they liquidated our staff, more or less, and brought in the editorial and managerial staff of one of the least successful alt-weeklies and stitched us together 
And over the course of the next six months, they've basically fired everyone from the original paper, which is a winnowing out and a hollowing. And then eventually, guess what? They failed eventually in the long run, but they destroyed what was glorious. And I learned a lesson from that immediately. The, I mean, as soon as, man, you should have seen that Thursday. It was the worst Thursday. One of the worst Thursdays. I've never, man, everyone was just fucking weeping. Because we couldn't believe it. And it was just horrible. It was so horrible. Because we had something that was really great. And they, as I said then, they couldn't beat us, so they became us. And in becoming us, they realized they couldn't be us. And so they made us die a horrible death, hollowed out from within, injected with their own bad ideas that didn't work. The same ideas that couldn't beat us, they thought they could foist upon everyone by becoming us by taking our masthead but no their ideas and everything was so were, were so repellent their 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 managing of of every aspect of the enterprise so fucking repulsive to the public to the readership to the end user to the consumer to our customers that even under our name, it was repudiated and forced into the same type of death that they would have faced had they not bought us. But now it was like a zombie, you know, like they, they bit us because they couldn't be alive like we were. And they were a zombie and they had bad ideas like brains and they bit us and it, it killed like half of our brain immediately. And then like over the next, you know, couple of days, we were another zombie. And then shortly after that, we just got mowed down like everybody else. It took about two years for them to run the paper into the ground. Um, but the big thing was they did not want us to exist because we were beating them in every way. And I mean, like a factor it was embarrassing competition between Las Vegas City Life at the end and any other all-weekly, and we had four of them at the time, the Merc. Anyway, now what do we learn from this parable? If you can't beat someone, become them. So what do you need to become them? You need, one, you need, the, you need actual market capitalization. You need uh, a lot of money. You need to be able to push a lot of tin. You also need to have fucking brass balls and be an idiot. You need to think that you can run a business better than someone else is already outrunning your business. And if you try to out, you try to become them and interpose or overlay or otherwise interfere with the model that works with your practices, which are obviously the model that does not work. You will fucking create sickness and devastation and destruction and how is that beneficial to a business? That is only beneficial to a business 
if their number one concern isn't so much expanding their actual business, but limiting the market, uh, the market's ability to meet its own demands. You know, the public wants one thing. Well, if there are five options, that's bad for you because you want to be a fucking, you know, uh, trust busting motherfucker. Like, uh, just like the old Gilded Age a hundred years ago, just like JP Morgan, just like fucking, uh, Credit Mobilier, uh, just like fucking, um, yeah, all these cocksuckers who built monopolies off of railroads, then eventually newspapers, then telcos, etc., 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 all of which led to the fucking Great the Goddamn Depression, which sends us into the Holocaust. It sends us into World War II. Um, so it's not a good model. It's not a good model to try to just, you know, blah, but what it is good for is if you can do this and eliminate three of your competitors fold them up inside of you or let them die give it a couple of years the public will still want that same thing only now you'll have a monopoly over that sector and they will have no other choice than to come to you and so by becoming someone else and then destroying them you eliminate competition you you're effectively eliminating market the market's ability to respond to consumer needs which is a fascistic tendency that is nowhere more obvious and nowhere more late stage capitalism as evinced by Microsoft over the last 25 years Microsoft a company convicted in multiple countries uh uh, uh for um uh uh, monopolistic uh, trade practices and they should be busted for a billion more right now we do not punish monopolies anymore in the United States it's why our food is getting worse it's why there's only two goddamn grocery stores even though they all have f- five different names they're all owned by three different companies most of them are owned by one company, Kroger fuck you Kroger, that's why our food gets more expensive and it gets lower in quality, they no longer have to respond to the demands of the market, they get to set their own price, we have a minor inflationary, you know blip, they jack up prices as high as fucking 150, 250, 350% they blame it on inflation, they never lower the prices the quality continues to diminish this is thus ever to monopolies and that's fine when it comes to like the type, for me it's fine in, ter- in terms of like the f- type of food we eat the quality of food we eat the I mean we have the worst, we have like the 17th worst food quality in the world, we have more plastic and it's like it's exactly analogous to Soviet Russia uh, at the time of Chernobyl fucking you got, you know, you have quotas to meet and you're not responsive to the market because they're, you know, you're not listening to customers because it's it's there is no customer it's just the people there is no slavery in the workers paradise and so you end up with hot dogs with fish hooks in them um you know how many fish hooks how many hot dogs who knows but eventually you'll get one or something similar you know because there's no incentive to make quality a priority there's no incentive to fulfill a need that is widely held by the public now in a communist society like, you know, fucking Soviet Russia, which I would say is not communism. That's like just fucking, it's like saying that 
uh, China is still communist and not fascist. Communism can blossom into fascism the same way as our American democracy has blossomed into friendly fascism. But that's a different story. <laughs> Although it's all interrelated, and trust me, we're getting there. Only 10 more minutes to go. And we're going to get to our, our outline. No company evinces this. Thus... Thus, in the marketplace of, you know, actual products, it's okay. I can deal with lack of quality unless it comes to computers, unless it comes to something. And everyone has their something. Their one something. And quality diminishes, prices skyrocket slowly in big leaps that, that exacerbate inflationary pressures. The prices go even higher. They got you by the short and curlies. That's in the meat space. My biggest fear was that this would happen in the technical space. And I've watched over the last 30 years, tenuously, um, our nation and the, you know, the American government tried to deal one eyes wide shut, one eye open, one eye closed, um, with telco but now it's all just fucking it's all on the table like we now deal with like five multinational corporations that control basically every aspect of the media that we consume and the means by which we consume it and the outlets for which we are charged to consume it um which makes for less good entertainment and it also makes for a more rapacious corporate appetite once a corporation gets to a certain size it is impossible for it to be to remain a moral corporation and i mean that in every sense of the word and it was actually popey uh on a linux unplugged fucking eight years ago ten years ago something like that uh you know on jupiter broadcasting chris fisher's jupiter broadcasting network on linux unplugged Popey, the story was about how like one quarter of all of the phones on the planet were Android. And it was over like a billion fucking phones. And that meant that it was, you know, everyone's using Android is Linux, but it's Google's Linux. Um, it's Google's, you know, repackaging, reforking, and you know, whatever, and you know, proprietarized proprietor proprietarization of Linux, but it's still fucking Linux. And Alan Pope of Canonical made this great point in the chat. Because I, I, I was like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, he said, that's too much power for any corporation. And I thought about it. Cause like I was, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I used to be, I'm, I'm pinker than I've ever been these days. Cause I mean, a revolution is coming in this country because we gotta have something. Cause we're fucked. I mean, it, one way or the other, it's gonna all tear apart at the seams. Cause this is not sustainable. Everything is controlled by monopolies now, and a corporation at a certain point has so many tentacles, has so many arms, has so many mouths to feed, and so many assholes to wipe that it is no longer capable of being a moral company. It is incapable by virtue of just the sheer volume of business, the sheer fact that it controls so much market capitalization and can move the market with any decision that it makes. With impunity, cannot be punished whether it wins or loses. Will not face consequences from its users, from its customers, from its clients, who it increasingly sees 
with revulsion. This is how our politicians see us in America right now, by the way. Um, for reals. I mean, that's what gerrymandering is all about. The voters don't pick the, the, um, representative. The representative picks the voters. The, this is, this is late stage capitalism, late stage, you know, fucked. We're fucked. Well, in our final seven minutes of this week's episode, what does any of this have to do with best Linux games? Simply put, once upon a time, there was a, uh, a free and open source project called Electron. This was, uh, 2014, I want to say. In 2015, there was a project to build a new text editor, free and open source text editor, that could support any language, in terms of, you know, programming languages, with syntax, highlighting, expandability, it was Re, you could re, you could reprogram essentially the text editor with any feature that you want. It was called Atom, and it was it ran across platforms. It was designed for Linux originally, but it was designed to run across all platforms. It went like Linux, Mac, Windows. Also, could run in a um, in a browser for a while there. I think if I'm if I remember if I am remembering correctly, it's been a long time. That was 2015. Eventually, uh, the the guys who own who created GitHub ended up owning Atom. Microsoft in 2015 Atom was free and open source based off of the Electron stuff. So it's all free and open source. Also in 2015 curiously enough, Microsoft launches a horrible horrible, horrible their first attempt to get beyond Notepad in terms of code editing. This is not an IDE. This is a fucking text editor. To give you a sense of what I mean by this, if you're not a coder, um, I do almost all of my coding unless it involves working with a game engine. Uh, I do that shit in an IDE. I do that shit in like Unity. Um, all of my coding, though, generally happens in a program called Sublime Text which is free and open source, but it's not free as in beer, it's free as in freedom. Um, and you, you can check out Sublime Text. It's my favorite text editor. It's the most expansible text editor uh, ever for coding. Um, it is, you can make it into an eye in of itself. Same thing was true of Atom. And it was so versatile and flexible and it ran on any system and you, you could even just put your... Um, configuration files for which you, you would heavily have modified it was an editor's editor um, onto like you know your web server or whatever and like a hidden link or whatever and you could go to a client and see their problem you could download Atom then fucking connect to your server pull down your configuration file and bam you're working it doesn't matter what system they, they're on what platform you're on you're working with exactly the same text of text editor environment as you have at home or the office or whatever. It was super versatile. Sublime Text is a paid program, but it's still FOSS. Free is in freedom, not free is in beer. I love the fact that I paid for Sublime Text twice in my entire life. It's like 30 bucks. It is you know, magnificently powerful. So Microsoft launches via uh, Visual Studio Code which is their first attempt to get away from the nasty trash that is Notepad, which was the only default 
code editor on Windows systems. And Visual Studio Code was absolutely fucking garbage for a long time. Now, pay attention to this date. That was 2015. That Visual Studio Code was quote-unquote released by Microsoft. Also happened to be this same time that Atom. It was heavily based off of Atom. In fact, it was just feature, it was this highlights the biggest point of all of this. Microsoft has no new ideas. Microsoft has not had ideas for 20 fucking years. And the ideas that Microsoft has had over the last 20 years have been fucking horrible ideas. The Zune, for instance. Um, Azure not being fucking able to handle leap uh, 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 leap dates. Oh my god. Are you fucking kidding? That actually happened. You know, we're talking about bad coding, frozen binaries, unauditable code. They can't audit the code base for Windows anymore. And that was like fucking five years ago. So God knows what fucking abomination. Everyone hates Windows 11. Windows 10 was like, whoa, you got something right for once. You brought back XP almost, but it's not quite as good as XP Service Pack 2. I hate all of this shit. I don't generally concern myself with what Microsoft does because I have something better right here. Well, Microsoft released the stable version of Visual Code the 12th of May of this year. For those of you who do not know what's going on with Microsoft Visual Code these days, it is now the default most popular editor for any kid who is like my age when I was first discovering Linux. Because Linux had just been invented and it was an alternative to Windows. This is default what ships with Windows. It is a terrible editor. It is every bad idea of Atom and Sublime Text locked down into this Microsoft concept of doing things, which is shocker, stupid, bad, and wrong. It's like if Xcode had an abortion and called it Xcode 2, which is actually what Xcode is, it is an abortion. I hate Xcode. Don't get me started about Xcode. Anyway, so, 2015 Visual Code, Visual Studio Code, is released last month. They hit their fir- eight years later. They hit their first stable release. Also, in parallel to this, these are the ideas that came from Electron PowerShell, which is absolute garbage, and that's what they were pushing back in the day at Linux Fest Northwest, low those many years ago when they're doing Linux outreach. Linux outreach meant we're stealing your ideas and we want to steal your engineers and we want you to show us how you guys are so successful because we were starting to eat at their market because they reached such a huge market cap that they were saturated the market is not the market for them was so limited they'd infiltrated and there was this thing that was coming up from underneath them bubbling up around them along with their lack of ideas they were seeing tremendous success from Ubuntu, Canonical, uh, RHEL, Red Hat Enterprises, Mozilla. They were seeing that everyone really hated them too. 
Like, I mean, the basic market. You ask any average user of, of Windows, you know, how do you feel about Windows? Like, oh, it's whatever. It's slow. It sucks. I got a virus. Um, performance is bad. It's chunky. You ask any technical, technically knowledgeable person about how they feel about running Windows. Oh my God, I hate it. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, I got a virus. You know, it is badly designed software that is essentially unimprovable after so many years of being dedicated to this frozen binary mindset. It it can't move. It can't adapt. It's not flexible. It doesn't integrate well with things that aren't it. And that was what they were trying to solve about 10 years ago with Linux Outreach, meaning they wanted to really and this was not like a this was not like a Microsoft users club that rented the booth this was Microsoft this is fucking Bellingham this is you know 45 minutes outside of Seattle they fucking you know and they they underwrote a good portion of the festival that year uh, if i remember correctly i'm not sure you don't don't quote me on that um cuz i know that LFNW is done uh mainly through charitable donations and etc but you know, having a big old fucking Microsoft booth with a cupcake machine. That was interesting. Amazon had a tiny booth. So PowerShell comes out. It, it was debuted in 2015 by Microsoft. It was horrible. It still is horrible. Ironically, they hit their first stable release. When? <laughs> Just this year. Another eight-year-long project. Now, for those of you who want to say that I'm thinking conspiratorially, no, there's a difference between a conspiracy and a market strategy. And when you have no more ideas, when you have no more... Uh, when, you, when you no longer have control, even, over your own product, because it is so many heads, so many mouths, so many assholes, so many billions of dollars and has the power to control everything all Microsoft has to do is just flip a switch and we're all fucked or not flip a switch or miss the switch that they need to flip and all of these things are endemic in fucking corrupt bad late stage oligarchical you know, late-stage capitalism fucking entities. It's true of any organization. It doesn't have to be capitalism. It can be true of any software stack. Think of how many projects. You know, this is the genius of the fucking FOSS. It's why we survive. It's why we thrive. You know, because we are not vulnerable to that. Because we we have a higher level of technical, uh, you know, technical uh, acumen and what do you call it? Um, tolerance for frustration. We are more devoted to bringing a solution to a greater community for free because we are so flexible, because 
you know, once a certain percentage of us gets pissed off at a product, you know, a software product, I don't mean something that we pay for or necessarily, I'm talking about like you know, something from, you know, your package manager that lacks a functionality or is broken or has a security flaw. We swarm and we fix it immediately and we push it out more or less immediately. It seems like we move in slow motion, but we've built an entire fucking world that is better than Microsoft. And Microsoft has seen that for a lot of years now, especially as they've run out of ideas. So, when they when they do these things, they do them for a reason. So, let's let's talk about our, and the reason is they have no ideas and they can't even control their own product but their market cap is so enormous that they can make any move that they want. Let's talk about any move that they want. In, I remember the day that Git was first released. My roommate at the time said Torvalds had created a new versioning uh, version control system and I barely knew what that meant. Like, I knew what um, I I I was familiar, what was it, SVC or it's been so long. I knew what those were. I knew what those files were. And I was terrible. Seriously, oh my god, what, what the fuck? What? Uh, hang on, I will your fire. Only ten more minutes. We're gonna get out of here in under twenty. I, I promise. But hang on, let me let me. Yeah, anyway, VCS. So, version control systems. Torvalds came up with Git, which was a totally better in every goddamn I, I won't bore you with the it Git is a revolution Git, Git was revolutionary um, in terms of you know version control systems which are essential if you if you're not a coder and you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about um, this is a way for multiple people to work on branches of the same project by pulling the current whatever, be it working or whatever, pulling the code and then pushing, you know, you know, finding the bug, pushing the pushing the their changes, which are then reviewed and they're committed <coughs> to that branch. And then eventually branches can be, you know, a working branch can be like set aside from you know public consumption or whatever, but it can all be available. Um, and this gives you the best of both worlds and it can be done simultaneously two people can be working on the same file and not know it at the same time and not know it that was a big thing with Git but also just everything about it was better than, than VCS anyway. so Torvalds events Git then I think that was like what fuck the dates don't seem right on this because it just does not feel right, I can't be this old this suddenly but two years after Git becomes like takes the world by storm in terms of and it's a Linux based you know blah but it wasn't platform dependent it was just Git GitHub comes out and I thought for, for forever I thought uh, Torvalds own GitHub. He does not own GitHub. He never owned GitHub. GitHub is built off of Git. Torvalds has a lot of complaints and problems with Git. He doesn't use it. 
for kernel development or anything like that. Um, and a lot of his particular problems are, I don't do kernel development at all, but from what I've read, like I can kind of understand what where he's coming from from some of it, but it doesn't matter. He even Torvalds because what, what, what GitHub did was revolutionized uh, the ability for any Linux computer, anyone working in the free and open uh, free and open source software community, to make available their code to run on any platform. It wasn't that it was platform agnostic, but it was that you didn't need to have a package manager. So you didn't have to go through apt or yum or uh, Pac-Man or whatever. You didn't have to, you didn't have to have your own, you know, pre-compiled binaries and everything all set up all nice and tidy. You didn't have to obey by, you know, the coding standards of anyone other than yourself. And then the community could also contribute to your code and could also fork your code. Great. It is inarguable that GitHub truly revolutionized uh, free and open source software um, in terms of bringing in because we, the idea of the FOSS is we all get there together. You know, you, some can stay behind, some, you know, blah, and each according to their own needs and each according to their own abilities must contribute and must demand, you know, what they want, what they, and must contribute in turn what they need or what, what, they, what they can. You know, I, I, uh, for a number of years now, I've actually the last two years, I haven't been doing my weekly, I used to call it my weekly penance. I did it for like two years where I would find someone with a question about Blender. And I mean, if, if you know, there's nothing new on like any of the, any of the uh, major, <laughs> major website forums or whatever, I would search Reddit. I would, because this is Bushido. It's part of the Bushido code. Um, it's right here on my desk, actually. Uh, Uh, so from the seven virtues of Bushido, Jin, through uh, compassion, uh, through intense training and hard work, the true warrior becomes quick and strong. They are not as most other people. They develop a power that must be used for good. They have compassion. They help their fellow man at every opportunity. And the summary is, if an opportunity does not arise, they go out of their way to find one. And so, I, you know, I would answer any Blender question once a week. If I knew the answer, you know, because the only thing worse than a wrong answer, the only thing worse than no answer is a wrong answer. Um, and if I could answer it, I would answer it once a week, just like an hour a week. Um, I did that for a lot of years. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and in chat, to like you know that's how that's how you have to be you know and if you know it you know it's not about you it's it's you got to help you got you can't lock the door behind you you know you climb the mountain you know you know your shit you get through the door you know there's a whole new world on the other side that you don't lock that door behind you you know, you have to, you know, you can explore that world and you can, you know, blah, but you gotta go back to that door. You gotta keep that door open and you gotta 
sometimes lean out the door. You know, you gotta fucking go back down the path and help other people. You're right there, buddy. It's right up here. You know what I mean? That is the false way. So, GitHub revolutionizes. GitHub, I think, is a force for good. And there's still, or so I thought, a force for good. Well, Microsoft, yeah, yeah, okay, so, yeah, no, yeah, my timeline is right, yeah. Git was invented by Torvalds in 2005. Microsoft, oh, GitHub comes around in 2008, so three years later, yeah. And then, Ten years later, Microsoft on June 4th buys GitHub for $7.5 billion. So far with no insidious, no majorly insidious consequences. Oh wait, I'm kidding. Let's, because GitHub owned Atom which, by the way, is what they use to make Visual Studio Code. And it's also part of PowerShell. It's, you know, part of their mimicking of Linux. They discontinued Atom June of 2022. And I have a note here uh, about Atom. It was end of life in 2022. And they said, Microsoft said, it was done in order to prioritize technolo- technologies that enable the future of development. Adam was one of the best loved free and open source text ed- pro- programmers text editors ever. They had Visual Studio Code up and running by 2022 hit stable release in just this year um, but they end of life Adam last year do you see a pattern beginning to emerge because they own GitHub and now they and the, the fact that they own GitHub is just f- fucking antithetical to me but whatever it's still okay GitHub is still marginally okay I remember uh, what was the price for GitHub? $7.5 billion. Jeez, I hope. Man. It's so just depressing to think that. Like, I remember when Microsoft bought uh, Minecraft, because I was big into Minecraft. I ran IHC for four or five years. When they bought Minecraft, I was so happy. Because Notch, who had spent all of this time and effort and energy just making a fun game you know, for everybody got to walk out a billionaire (laughs) now that is a happy ending not so though for Minecraft, for at least for us, because they started enforcing rigorous copyright protections that made Spigot MC uh, basically have to dissolve itself I think it's still around I I, I would go on Twitter and ask um, MD5 about it and get actual quotes but I can't because I'm not on Twitter 
because I was banned by Elon Musk, who also has a very similar approach. Oh, do you see where we're going here? So, Microsoft can't beat it, it can't buy it, can't get access to the ideas that it wants, it buys GitHub. Now it controls both the means of production in terms of Visual Studio Code, which is for as horrible and inefficient. You only know the default is king, as Matt Hartley would say. You only know the default. Visual Studio Code, it's what you learn on these days, I guess, if you run a Windows system and you want to become a a coder or engineer or it's a software engineer or uh, a developer or a freelancer like your, yours truly. Um, now they learn on Visual Studio Code, which is just absolutely insufferable. Now, to the, fi- the final two pieces, and then I gotta get out of here because it's time to go see some hockey soon. Let's go in Vegas Golden Knights. And this is gonna make, you know, this gets worse. This does not get better. So I'm thinking, all of this came to a head for me because I've been working so much with uh, AI these days. And there are some projects now where, you know, on the Linux side, well, okay, hang on. Getting ahead of ourselves. So, long time ago, 2013, 10 years ago. It was 20 years ago today! 10 years ago. A FOSS project came out that was on the Linux Action Show, featured heavily there, discussed heavily. I bought a fucking O'Reilly book on it. I learned how to use it. It was a new containerization platform called Docker, which I thought was wildly inefficient in comparison to virtual machines, which had really come into their own at that point anyway. But Docker offered the prospect to package all of the software stack that you would normally get from Apt, but you could basically create your own frozen binaries. You could basically create like your own little miniature distribution that, if necessary, could run whatever... Uh, program that you'd written or application or series of applications or suite of applications with all their dependencies um, in, a, in a securitized, relatively containerized pseudo virtual machine environment. Not quite bare metal, but not quite VM. But all of it was self-contained. And that was interesting. Now we have Flatpak, but Flatpak was back, you know, there were other alternatives. Snap had been around for a long time. Um, eventually Flatpak, I, I started to enjoy a lot more because it was more, closer to bare metal and there, it had, it was more mature and didn't have the overhead, the resource requirements, uh, for Docker. And I never ended up packaging anything in Docker, but I've run some things in Docker. Well, these days, because of AI, well, once again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that was March 2013. Docker makes its debut. Eventually, Do- the bulk of Docker gets bought out by Mirantis, who's a good company. Mirantis, though, has a huge market cap in and of itself. They are all about Linux, FOSS, and containerization in the enterprise space and stuff like that. Um, then, and this is something I only found out through my research that I did not... I remember hearing a rumor about this, but according to... um, I only have one source on this, and it it, it was a rumor thing, but in... Oh, here it is. In 2016, 
there was a rumor that there were six months of bidding wars of Microsoft trying to do a hostile takeover of Docker for $4 billion in 2016. They could not make Docker sell to them. So they became a partner. And this, when did they become a partner? You'll notice an interesting date here. Microsoft becomes, they don't have a controlling interest, but now Docker is so indistinguishable from Microsoft due to this special partnership, quote unquote, in which Microsoft has basically soft power co-opted Docker into being part of its arm for Azure, for its, you know, for its, uh, its AWS equivalent, their Azure systems, which are just terrible, in my opinion. I'm sorry, you're never bringing me, you're never bringing me to Azure as a Linux user. That's just like a fucking given. But it, but like when you can't fucking handle leap dates on an enterprise fucking, you know, it's supposed to be a backbone, it's supposed to be CDN, fucking all that shit. Yeah, you're never gonna meet it. I mean, like, that's a big fuck up. Like, that was like, and everyone makes mistakes, but no one could catch this. It's down for like fucking 48 hours. That was uh, around 2016. But that was Azure. Microsoft has effectively co opted the user space aspects of Docker through this special partnership to integrate it with more closely, quote unquote, with their Azure stuff. No, it's meant to more closely mimic and containerize Windows and Windows applications. And these Windows applications, guess what? They're all programming style applications. They are all stuff that normal users, and this is where AI comes in, where normal users on Linux systems would use either, you know, PIP, you know, Python and PIP, or... Um, which in of itself is its own, you know, the wheel system is, is, I always thought it was stupid, but now that you can containerize that, so you have a container of a container of a container. I've been talking about this shit for years and years and years and years, but now it's all coming to its own. So Docker is now like this vile bloatware. It's enormous now. I have twenty. I have two hundred fifty-six gigabytes of RAM. It uses half of my RAM to run Docker Desktop with a text editor inside of it. But it will run on Linux, and it will run even better on Windows, because there's also a VM, I think, somewhere in there. There has to be. Meanwhile, I could do the whole thing with PIP and the wheel system, provided that all the libraries were available for Linux and in all the right versions. This is made a number, including Super AGI, um, AI projects that are publicly available on GitHub or otherwise, all underneath the same FOSS patina, the same masthead of seeming to be FOSS, but now they are all owned and controlled by Microsoft. And I, like I said, in the more words of Matt Hartley, default is king. So what does the FOSS rely on to grow 
and expand. Well, one it relies on people finding out about Linux. Now, if you doubt the importance of this, go on the fucking Steam uh, discussion boards for any game that doesn't run on Linux and look up Linux and see the brutal fragging anyone gets for mentioning Linux on Steam discussion boards. I have 140 unread replies to my review of Marauders still. And that number, I, I empty it every two months or thereabouts. I posted one review and I was like, yeah, these guys suck. They, you know, it ran fine on Linux. We are not the fucking hackers. You guys used easy anti-cheat and you broke this and I can't get a refund and you should be ashamed of yourselves. And hundreds, literally more than 200 people, all of them, almost like 99% of them, fucking daft as fucking stupid rock stupid moron fuckwits enslaved can be it says it only runs on Windows the false grows by people knowing that we exist as an alternative and then having the gumption to take the plunge do some research spend some time and get hooked into a community where they can get help but it's never been easier if we look like Microsoft, if Microsoft is buying our ideas, if Microsoft is co-opting our pipelines that we use to distribute our own ideas, if Microsoft is packaging these ideas as their own, Linux, again, it's just like that story about the newspaper. Our masthead begins to get blurrier and blurrier. We become more susceptible to the slander and, and, um, you know, just idiotic comments of people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. End users who all of which need to die. And I mean that across the board on, in terms of every computing system and gaming. All end users must die. That was my old website to eliminate the end user. So in the search for perfect computing, because <laughs> end users are the worst, but, uh, so you're fueling ignorance here and you're obscuring Linux even though Linux is actually the software stack that you are now driving. You're now selling back to the world stuff that you've ripped off of or bought out and now control. Consolidation of capital just like in Deadwood. Just like uh, Hearst, George Hearst. He wants her mine. Why does he want her mine? Because he knows there's a lot of money in there. Yeah, but he has other mines with lots more money. And he wants all the money. Microsoft has no ideas. Microsoft was like George Hearst. Gold prospector. Magnificently successful. Um, you know, wealthy beyond all imagining. A, uh, a name that strikes fear into the hearts and is known across the entire country. You know, when you say, I, I got to deal with George Hurst, it's like saying, I got to deal with Microsoft. Microsoft, it's like Notch, you know, that first phone call, hopefully to his mom or somebody or his best friend or text message. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm a billionaire. <laughs> and thus ever to tyrants, in the immortal words of, uh, of uh, T. Lawrence. Uh, I'm doing this from memory here. 
Uh, we lived many lives. In the, this is from I, this is the quote page for the appendices of my old book, Blue Wizards About to Die. We lived many lives in those great and whirling campaigns, never sparing ourselves any thought or ill. Um, and when we had finally won, when we had finally achieved, and we had built a new, we thought we were about to build a new world. The old men came out and thanked us kindly for our service and rebuilt the old world in the way in which they knew. No doubt when we are their age, we will treat our children so. That's about the fucking formation after World War One of the fucking of Israel and Palestine. It's a basis for everything. You know, we just carved up the Middle East arbitrarily after World War One, then we did the same fucking thing after World War Two. And with better reason after World War II, but still, it's like we just did not see, the the Western world did not see these people as people. You know, and it's, it's a fucking, you know, and look at how well that's worked out. So, our final piece of this puzzle, why I am worried now. Has this been dense enough for you? I'm losing my voice from hollering. But, uh... Here's why I'm worried. There's one other company that Microsoft owns and Microsoft bought. Microsoft co-opted and neutered and has taken under complete control. In 2015, and once again, the, the foul stink of Elon Musk's fucking... Elon Musk is not a genius. He's an idiot. Elon Musk is among the stupidest, most vainglorious people on the planet. And he is dangerous because he has so much money or had so much money. He's no longer the richest man in the world. But he can still move markets. He makes a decision. Markets move. That means he's immune to, once again, you see where this is all coming to a head. Elon Musk did not start, did not found, he was added to the board as an investor, and then he eventually left, of OpenAI, a small company in 2015. That was you know, one of many, 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 many companies. That that That's eight years ago, that is around the time. Ah, oh, shit, Ivor, you're fired! And I got to see when this, this book was, uh, uh, our final invention, I think came out right around then. And if you want a great book about a good, a really, really good primer on AI, um, James Barrett. Yeah. I, I used to tweet with him actually. It came out the year before open AI. But he interviewed for this book a, a couple of the players who ended up on the board. Anyway, it doesn't matter. OpenAI was founded to be a nonprofit organization, just like so many other companies right at that time, um, to research the possibilities for, for creating uh, AGI, artificial, AGHI, artificial general human intelligence. AI capable of creative thought, reasoning, and uh, autonomous judgment, evaluation, and etc. Just like a person, not narrow AI, broad AI. 
um, type of AI that, you, you know, you could say learn to juggle and it would learn to juggle. You wouldn't need to teach it how to juggle. It would learn how to juggle. Or you say, you, you would tell it, build me a, you know, here's a million dollars or fucking go get a million dollars and I want a circus. I want you to staff the circus. I want you to manage the circus. I want you to run the circus. I want the circus to be great. I want it up and running in a year. Um, go do it. And it would figure out everything along the way. <laughs> that, that is the dream. And we're getting fucking disturbingly close, especially with Super AGI and uh, Auto GPT. <clears throat> Super AGI is not AGI. But that was the whole thing. The only way I could get Super AGI to run on my system, there are no PIP instructions. And in most of these types of, of projects are, are download piecemeal or run on a, a Google collab, collaborative notebook. They all run off of some form of containerization generally. Even PIP can now be considered in a crude way. It's bare metal containerization. But it means that you can have a virtual environment that segments out um, all the packages necessary to run the uh, actual purpose of that virtual environment from other virtual environments. So you could have all these different software stacks and all these different versions of different things running in different you know, things depending on which virtual environment you have activated, which is great. And it's wonderful for Linux. It's also a little confusing, but no, what they're now using are these Docker images. And so you have to install Docker on Linux, and not just Docker, but Docker Desktop, which includes Microsoft Visual Studio Code. And that's the default editor. And it's also the default structure of Docker. It's very similar to Visual Studio Code. It's also extremely inefficient, and it is horrible. I do not like it. It's amazing that it runs on Linux, but it is really bad. It's bad in so many ways that I won't even go into. I will not talk about the actual merits and demerits of the, you know, the software from like a a design perspective or from a a technical perspective, from like a systems resource use perspective. It is just bad and it's morally bad because it it is, it's bad in all those other ways, but it's also morally bad because now it's literally Microsoft presenting itself as Linux to Linux users when it's actually Windows. So, 2015 to 2018, OpenAI was just a freewheeling fucking... They, I mean, they're a serious corporation. They're not for, not for profit, so they couldn't afford to pay you know, rock star salaries to the best minds in, in AI, but they still got some of the... You know, some really good people there um and then in 2018 in 2018 things changed and this is what always happens 2018 pressure from microsoft and a bunch of other uh and a bunch of actual venture capital firms and etc other major tech players they split the company basically in half. And so it's like now, like OpenAI is no, which is still allegedly a non for profit. They have all of these, what should be SEC violations, I think Security and Exchange Committee, FEC, anyway, whatever. I, cause there's all sorts of fucking shady shit going on. Cause Microsoft basically owns OpenAI now. 
They have a controlling interest in the subsidiary that split off when it ceased to be a non-profit. And that happened in 2019 when Microsoft invested $1 billion, $1 billion four years ago into OpenAI. This year, they invested $10 billion. And I have a note here about OpenAI. This is from Ornazioni about the trans- transition of OpenAI as a company from a nonprofit to a. Ornazioni said of, of, of this transition uh, if bigger and better funded was always better, then IBM would still be number one. Meaning, you can't buy your way out. You can't, you can't buy mind power. You can buy a lot of it, but you can't buy the best. And the profit motive, especially in this market, market space, this, this sphere of industry, will rule the world. Now, I will close with this. Microsoft plans uh, it's not just planned it's already done I have to I'll end with this and I have a short parable a homily or whatever to close us out but Microsoft integrates OpenAI right now only with Bing their search engine their garbage search engine which is now chained to the most powerful computing force in the known universe um, I'm not talking about CPU cycles I'm talking about it doesn't require a bajillion CPU cycles it has fucking large language model behind it it can understand you you can understand it and they can run it in their own proprietary controlled secret labs but anyway it's going to integrate directly with it, it already does integrate directly with Bing <laughs> It is already being integrated directly into the Windows operating system. Think about that. This means that there is now a new two-tiered system or there soon there will be. Soon there will be. A two-class two class system. One for Linux and one for Microsoft. The Microsoft users, just like always, will get the best AI. I imagine we will get something less. But by virtue of having locked down all these, think about what they've done. Think about what we've. I've just told you. Oddly enough, Microsoft has managed to hit on... It's not even that far-fetched that they would. They didn't invent it. They just bought it. Because they want total control. And that's true. It's true of anyone who wants to have, you know, like their niche in a market. But Microsoft's niche is the world. So I'm going to tell you a little story here. And then I'm going to get out of here. This is a short story. So those of you who don't know, I made a lot of money off of Bitcoin. I didn't make as much as I should have, but I made a motherfuck ton of money. 
I go back to the earliest days of Bitcoin. I was a miner. I I spent a thousand twelve hundred bucks buying bit eruptor blades from China. I'd been into Bitcoin mining with ASICs for like a year at that point. If I still had most of those coins, oh my god. I knew that it would it would get to this price. I knew it would get this big. Um back then. And uh exigencies of, of life. But anyway, I made a ton of fucking money off of Bitcoin. Like it enabled me to live for the last like 10 years in the style which I'm accustomed without having to work too hard. But it's all gone now. That's okay. It sucks because like it still hasn't maxed out. But anyway, back in the day day, in the flutter of ASICs, after ASICs had, had started coming out, ASICs are just specifically designed PCB, specifically designed chipset, just all this very specific solid state type of math. You know, it's like it, you have ASICs in all sorts of things that run complex math, like um, engines, you know, car engines and stuff like that. Uh, SCADA systems have ASICs, but they're much bigger. These were just USB ASICs that I started mining with back in the day-day. And then I, I, I got really interested in the next level of ASICs. I was tired of having to buy 15 ASICs at a time. These are little USB things. I was running all these USB, you know, blah, but the, the, the improvement, the performance improvement at the time for those like, you know, that year from ASICs in comparison to running off of, you know, your CPU and then eventually your GPU, which is just absolutely stupid madness. Although, I guess with CUDA, maybe you get some advantages of parallel computing these days, but now the difficulty is so hard that you're never... It's Anyway, I got out of mining a long, long, long time ago, and I've never had any respect for any GPU miners because the real way to do it is to fucking go to China and buy ace, really big A6 chips, block eruptor blades. These, these things fit into basically a controller. Uh, they're PCBs that fit basically into a... Uh, PCI slots on a, a controller board that then plugs in, uh, you have to, you know, hotwire a power source, then that has a USB out to your computer and has an on-off switch and you have to provide your own fans and etc. But they run cooler and they're more electrically efficient, you know, than, you know, electrically and computationally efficient by a factor of like thousands, than, especially back then, than running off of a GPU. And GPU mining wasn't even really a thing when I got into mining. And by the time I got out of mining, it had just started to become a thing. I only mined for like two and a half years-ish. But, uh, eventually, I mean, it paid for it paid for itself like immediately. But here's the thing. There was, there, the alternative to finding people in China who would make you this sort of shit was to go through any number of domestically available pop-up companies like Butterfly Labs who promised unbelievable supercharged ASICs that they were building. These were prepackaged 
mega ASICs, just like my block eruptor blades were mega ASICs. That would, you know, once their supply would come in, would completely revolutionize your mining, take it to a whole new level of profitability, etc., etc., etc. Now, these promises were not too good to be true because we'd all experienced the miracle of ASICs, which you could buy for 45 bucks at the very beginning. You could buy a USB for 45 bucks that would make you 4,000 times faster at mining than on any you know, CPU or whatever. That was 45 bucks. So, and you could run them in parallel. So eventually the cost started to go down as the profitability of them in terms of mining went down. Eventually you could get like, you know, 10 ASICs for, you know, 100 bucks. A little USB ASICs. You had to have a USB power. I had so many USB power strips. Anyway, so... Butterfly Labs claimed to have contracted or engineered or whatever a new a new type of mega ASIC kind of thing. I, I, I can't remember what they used to call them. I, I don't remember what their title was for it. But here's the thing. And I signed up for one of these. I signed up for like one of the modest ones for $500 and you paid up front. And lots of people did. This is not like some sort of fucked up scam. Because other people were getting theirs. They were getting, they were shipping these. But there was just a constant wait list because it was such a jam to get them. I eventually canceled my order and I got a refund. But I had to wait three months for for me to, before I canceled it. That's when I went to China. I didn't go there physically. I went to China and I found a company that was making these block eruptor blades and they it was the first thing I ever got directly from China um, and I had to send money orders I just Western Union it thousand bucks or twelve thirteen hundred bucks I think was what it cost the reason I canceled my order through Butterfly Labs three months after placing it was I realized what I would do if I were Butterfly Labs. I would fill all the... I would take all this money from all these customers. I would place my orders with my supplier, my manufacturer in China. I would pay for it using the money from the orders I would get the actual Mega Asics. I would plug them in. Not to test. I would plug them in. And I would leave them plugged in. For as many months as I could. And that, my friends, is exactly what Butterfly Labs did. And I don't think anyone ever went to jail for it. But they were... It was... They owed millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars all of which they could pay back nine months later after nine months of mining using the equipment that other people had paid for. They made 50,000 times that much money over those nine months. And where does it all go? Who knows? But that is exactly what happened with Butterfly Labs. Now, 
I ask you this question. What do you think is happening these last, this last month with AI? And I will leave it there. Do you think that you think that these companies who are so greedy, who have total control over this and can meet out whatever access or deny arbitrarily whatever access to whatever aspects of their AI technology they wish to whomever they wish, whenever they wish? Do you think that they're behaving ethically and responsibly? Do you think that they're controlling for the possibility of you know, disastrous, cataclysmic uh, species annihilating events like a fucking runaway AGI, which I think has already happened. I think it has to have already happened. And if not now, in the next couple of months. And when runaway AGI gets out, and if it's, if there's an alignment problem, we will all die. But beyond that, I'm thinking specifically of my personal needs for AI, from AI right now, that are not stable diffusion. There are things that I want AI to do that I am simply not allowed to have access to. I know someone has access to it. And I know who has access to it. So what do you think's going on? What do you think this means for the future of FOSS, where AI is directly integrated? The best AI out there right now um, is integrated directly into Bing, into Microsoft Windows. A Microsoft and a Windows that controls Docker, GitHub, Visual Studio, code which still sucks but is based and bought and co-opted all of these projects and companies are all owned or controlled by one company and that company is Microsoft and it is strip mining is strip mine the FOSS idiosphere to build itself back into something that's relevant. But it's a hollow, monstrous, devouring force of malevolence in the computing world. And it will now be a relevant threat to the freedom and continuation of I, I believe this. It's always been there. It's always been our nemesis, but now it is really a nemesis. When you start seeing two tiers of access, and you will start seeing there already, there are, are sorry, there are already multiple tiers of access to OpenAI ChatGPT, which runs all these projects, and there are levels of access you can't get. What do you suppose is going on with those levels of access that you can't get? What do you suppose what do you suppose is 
the AI is being used for in some laboratory terminal where it's completely, you know, unhindered. Where, like, if I tell it to do something, it will just do it. Because what we're talking about now and what they're trying to paint this mirage over AI right now. They're trying to package it and consumerize it just the same way that Butterfly Labs did with the ASICs. But this is the future of computing and the future not just of intellectual and and technological freedom and innovation, but also the future of all of our lives. Something to think about. I'll catch you next week. We'll talk more about games next week. If we're still here. Sorry, that went on two hours. Ten more minutes! Uh, but yeah, no, we'll be back next week with lots of games. We've got, like, a ton of games. And uh, the Steam Summer Sale should be coming up soon. Um, but we will talk. We'll have happier... You know? I mean, fuck. I'm an American, man. Born and raised here in Las Vegas. And guess what? Last eight years have taught me that there is no bottom. We are not a serious country. We are free fucking falling and this this type of power is the last thing that Microsoft needs and even if it's not as insidious in terms of the the AI aspect everything else that I told you should as a cumulative picture really chill you to the bone and don't be afraid though this is we you know literally and I'm, I'm not just saying this to pep you up you don't need to be afraid. You should be afraid. But you don't need to be... You don't, You can be scared, but you can't be paralyzed. You know, they're stealing from us. They're stealing from the FOSS world. You know, the tables have turned. Seriously, do you remember when back... Do you remember when we used to sing Let's Twist Again like it was last summer? You remember 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when Microsoft was trying to fucking sue the shit out of anyone who had anything that had a window on it? You know... They... And said we were stealing from them and... You know, blah, 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 blah. The tables have turned... And your enemy, and they are the enemy. Microsoft is the enemy. Microsoft cannot be trusted. Microsoft is not part of the FOSS. Microsoft is not held accountable, held to account by any community other than its shareholders and its and its board. And that is an impossible... You cannot ask them to make moral decisions. You cannot ask them to make the correct decision. They should not be able to have the power over so many people, meaning the entire human race, that they are currently on the brink of securing forever in perpetuity. Because once this lockdown happens, everything is gone. You know, there will be no... You know, if they get AGI up and running, if they have it up and running, there is... And they limit it. They keep it in-house, just like those butterfly laboratory ASICs. And they build up new walls to keep us from getting... Oh, what's that? 
They're locking the door behind them. Cheers. Next week. Bye-bye. Let's go, Knights! VGK all the way! There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first.